Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We're going to read here uh, the first four verses. We'll look at a few more later in the, uh, in the message, but we're going to look at the first four uh, verses here in Philippians chapter number two. The Bible says this, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let's pray. Our, our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to worship this morning through singing and prayer and through time in your word. Lord, I pray this morning that each of us would receive something from your word that would help us. May we make some applications so that our lives and uh, that our hearts would be drawn closer to you. God, may you speak to us. May you use your word like only you can. May you help us this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. Here in Philippians chapter number two, the apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church at Philippi and he lays the foundation in verse number one by saying this, if there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies. When he says therefore, it takes us back to what Paul shared with us at the end of Philippians chapter number one. You see there in Philippians 1, near the end, he was sharing with the church at Philippi how to solve external conflicts. He said, speaking of their conversations and how they communicate with one another. But he's now transitioning to stressing the importance of fixing some internal problems in their lives here. We see at the beginning of Philippians chapter number 2. And I love here what he writes in verse number 1, and he makes these four statements. Look what he says here. This verse is what is called a conditional statement, meaning these things are true. They are factual. These are not questions he's asking to us to see if, if these things are true. These are statements that are facts here. Look what he writes. He says, number one, since there is consolation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says this, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. He writes this to say, because there, are, there may be some that are suffering for Christ's sake, our consolation is only made possible because of Christ. He is our consolation. Christ is our comforter. Christ is the ultimate comforter. He then says this, since there is comfort in love. You see, Christ tends to our needs and he wraps us in his love. The illustration of comfort and love can be compared to a parent comforting their child. My wife and I are raising two young boys. We have a, a two and a half year old named Chandler and a seven month old named Cruz. And uh, you know, when Chandler falls or when he uh, uh, scrapes his leg up or hurts himself, who do you think Chandler runs to? He runs to his mom. He doesn't want anything to do with me because typically my response is, get up, you're fine. 
Now, if there's a serious injury, obviously I'm going to be there to care for my son, and I, I love him and I care about him, but his mother, oh, his mom. I love my wife. She's amazing. But if, if Chandler just barely stubs his toe, man, you would have thought that his arm just got chopped off. I mean, my wife is running to his care and she's there to comfort him and to love him. And this is the comparison we see here in scripture. This is what we see here. God wrapping his love around us. He tends to our needs. He cares for us. The comfort in love. Then he says this, since there is fellowship with the spirit. You see, as a follower of Jesus, we know that we most definitely have fellowship with the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit lives in us. He guides us through this journey of life. We have fellowship with the Spirit. John 16, 13 says this, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. The Spirit guides us. There is fellowship with the Spirit. And then lastly, he makes this statement. He says, since there is bowels and mercies, bowels meaning affection, we know that we have received the affection and the mercy from our God, from our Savior. He has shown each of us undeserving mercy. What we deserve and what we have received are two totally, completely different things. All of these statements are so true to us as Christians. There is consolation in Christ. There is comfort in love. There is fellowship with the Spirit, and we have received the mercies of God. You see, Paul makes it clear here in Philippians 2 that unity is the goal. Unity is the goal. That's what we should be striving for. If the question to all of these is yes, then we should be unified. You see, we have all experienced this comfort, this love, this fellowship, this mercy. There should be no reason not to be unified. It has been said that there is unity is strength, division is weakness. Unity is strength, division is weakness. If we want to have a strong body, we must be unified. Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Church, in these days of great division, we must be unified. We must be unified. God calls us to unity. We should not be so focused on pushing our agendas or our political stances that we forget to be unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should not be so focused on pushing our political stances, like I said, that we begin to create discord and divisions amongst our brothers and sisters. And I'm thankful that there's a culture of unity amongst our church, but Satan would love nothing more to create division in this church. He would love nothing more than to split this church. And we need to make sure that we create in this place a culture of unity. I love the Olympics. And uh, this year, I didn't, I didn't spend as much time watching the Olympics as I usually do, but I do enjoy the Olympics. And let me just see by raise of hands, how many are more summer Olympics? How many more winter? How many don't care? Because only like half of you raise, oh, no one, okay. Everyone's like, I don't care about the Olympics. Okay, good, that's good to know. Okay, scratch this illustration. They're like, we don't want to hear about that. In the 1980 Olympics, I'm going to tell you anyways, athletes 
We're set to compete in Lake Placid. This is a, an extremely familiar story that I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with. And arguably, one of the most popular events in, in the Winter Olympics is hockey. However, over the past previous four Olympics, the Soviets had dominated the sport by winning the past four gold medals. In fact, the Soviets had not lost a game since 1968. Remember, this is 1980. And in an exhibition game before the Olympics began, the Soviets, who were made up of mostly professional hockey players, if not all professional hockey players, took on the United States team that was made up of amateurs and college students. The Soviets ended up defeating the United, United States 10-3 to 3 in that opening game. You see, few had high hopes for the seventh seed United States team entering that Olympic tournament. But the team soon silenced its haters, making it through the opening round, playing undefeated, with four victories and one tie, going to the four-team medal round. You see, the Soviets were expected to go undefeated, which they did. They were the number one seed and did as, as what we, everyone expected them to do. And on Friday afternoon, February 22nd, we all know the story, the American amateurs and the Soviet dream team met at a sold-out crowd. And even though the Soviets took a early 3-2 lead, in the final period, halfway through the final period, the Americans ended up taking over control and leading 4-3. There were still 10 minutes of play left, but the Americans held on. The Americans had upset the heavy favorite Soviets, and two days later, they defeated Finland 4-2 to clinch the hockey gold. The miracle on ice. A team that wasn't even considered to make it past the opening round ended up winning gold. Don't we love those stories of the significant underdogs that ended up doing something that no one expected? They came out victorious. You see, the Americans didn't have the most talented team. They didn't have, I think, but one professional on their team. They didn't have the most experienced team. This is a unique stat, but the average age of this American team was 22 years old. The average age of this team was 22, but the team was able to come together, follow the lead of their coach, and win gold. The team definitely played together and for that reason received the victory. You see, they had adapted the play style the Soviets had while also keeping that hard-nosed college style that they were accustomed to. Their coach had laid out for them the exact details of what they were to do and they executed it perfectly. Together, together. Together, they followed the leadership of their coach and stuck to that game plan. You see, they were unified. It wasn't one star, but one team following the leading of their coach. And if we want our church to have a culture of unity, we must listen to our coach, our savior. And this morning, as we look in Philippians chapter number two, God details out for us some specific things we must do if we are to create a culture of unity amongst our fellow believers. And I want to point out here that nothing Christ gives us here is unreasonable. Nothing Christ gives us in Philippians chapter 2 is something that we aren't going to be able to do. It's not an unreasonable task that he's asking us to fulfill. No, you see, this is our reasonable duty. He tells us, since these above things in verse number one that we looked at are true, let's create unity amongst one another. 
since I've given you the fellowship with the Spirit and the comfort of love, and I've given you this mercy, since I've already given this to you, let's create some unity. And church family, we need to create a culture of unity. He lets the church know there's some specific things you must do if you want to be unified. And as we study these this morning, really think, are these three traits true of me? And if they're not, we need to make sure that we evaluate our own life and don't get in the way of creating this culture of unity. The first thing I see in this passage of scripture in verse number three is this. We need to eliminate our pride. Eliminate our pride. The Bible says this, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. If we do things to put down our brother, that's strife. If we do things to puff ourselves up or build ourselves up, that's vainglory. And both are detrimental to allowing unity amongst our fellow believers. You see, when we fill ourselves up with pride, it never turns out the way we planned. A freshly minted lieutenant wanted to impress the first private to enter his office. And uh, when he walked in, he pretended to be on the phone. So he pulled out his phone and, and pretended that he was speaking with the general so that the private would think that he knew somebody pretty important. And this is what he said on the phone. Yes, sir, general, you can count on me. I'll make sure to get this done immediately. And as he slammed the phone down on the receiver, he looked at the private and said, what do you need, private? And the private looked at him and said, I'm just here to connect your phone, sir. You see, pride most often doesn't get us far, does it? In fact, our pride usually creates uncomfortable and unfortunate situations for us. And what does pride bring? I see pride brings struggle in our relationships, our relationships with God. C.S. Lewis said this regarding pride. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something that's above you. When we allow pride in our life, it creates a wall between us and God. A wall that separates us and deeply affects our relationship with him. You know, we need to look at ourselves before, uh, we, we shouldn't be looking at ourselves before we look to God. We, we should ask, not what should I do, but rather, what would God have me do? We need to say, and we shouldn't say, I, I can do this, but rather say, it is God who gives me the strength to do this. We shouldn't be saying, look what I have achieved, but rather God gave me the abilities to achieve this. We boast not in our talent. We need to make sure that we give God the glory because it's him who has gifted, it with, gifted us with it. You see the pattern? When we turn away from God rather than looking towards him, it's detrimental to our Christian life. We become much more concerned with self then we become concerned with our relationship with him. You see, not only does it affect, our pride affects our relationship with God, but also it affects our relationship with other believers. When my relationship with God is struggling, isn't it funny that all my other relationships around me begin to struggle as well? You know, my pride affects those around me. I become so concerned with myself and my needs that I neglect the people around me that I love and care about. 
Pride deeply affects my relationships. My relationships with my God and with my fellow believers. Not only does pride affect my relationships, but pride brings consequences. Proverbs 16.5 says this, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join hand in hand, he shall not be unpunished. You know, as a youth pastor, I can deeply see the effects that social media have on our generation. Spending so much time trying to capture life than actually just living life. And also trying to create content that will impress others. And if I'm being honest, I fall under that trap too. It's a dangerous thing to be. Social media is often used to build ourselves up in pride and impress others with our creativity and wit. It can be very dangerous. And when the Cornerstone Bank in Waco, Nebraska was robbed of some $6,000 in November of 2012, the bank employees were able to give the police a pretty good description of the teenage girl who pulled off the crime and the car in which she escaped. As it turned out, the investigation didn't really need those descriptions because the thief recorded a YouTube video entitled Chick Bank Robber. Boasting of her criminal prowess, fanning out the cash in front of her camera, 19-year-old, this is a true story, 19-year-old Hannah Sabata held up a sign that read, I just stole a car and robbed a bank. Now I'm rich and I can pay off my college financial aid and tomorrow I'm going for a shopping spree. Later, she held up another sign which said, I told my mom today was the best day of my life. She thinks I met a new boy. Hannah's brief criminal career ended pretty shortly that week when police took her into custody. You see, she definitely got what was coming to her, didn't she? You see, pride always brings consequences. It may not be immediate, but it always brings consequences. James 4, 6 says this, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. What do we see in this next part of the passage? In verse number three, he says, but in lowliness of mind. You see, the opposite of eliminating pride, Paul urges us to put on humility. That word lowliness means this, humble in manner or spirit, free from self-assertive pride. Lenny Stutnik had no intention of being a hero on this day. The staffer at the Congressional Budget Office in Washington was having just a typical day, a winter day, when an Air Florida Flight 90 crashed into the 14th Street Bridge over the Potomac River shortly after takeoff. Those who survived the crash faced death as the plane sank into icy waters. The helicopter came and uh, a rescue line was dropped to save one of the survivors, but she was weak, too weak to hold on. Lenny Stutnik saw what was happening and dove into the water, swam out, and pulled her back to shore, saving her life. Two weeks later, President Reagan invited Stutnik to attend the State of the Union address, and in describing the accident said this, we saw the heroism of one of our young government employees, Lenny Stutnik, who when he saw a woman lose her grip on the helicopter line, dived in the water and dragged her to safety. Stutnik was honored by the President of the United States on this day, not because he tried to draw attention to himself, but because he did what was right in the midst of a crisis. 
You see, Satan tells us that we need to be sure everything we do is seen and praised. He tells us that we need to get recognition for every little thing that we do. Yet God reminds us that attempts to promote ourselves eventually backfire, don't they? Our motive should not be for show, but rather to glorify my God. You know, I thought about this and tried to evaluate my own life. And if I'm being honest, there's times where I've wanted to receive the recognition. Haven't we been there before? And I'm doing something wondering, is, is, is anyone noticing me? I, I'm, I'm here serving. Does, does anyone see what I'm doing? Maybe it's just me. I've been there before. And, and I wanted to receive that recognition. I wanted to receive that praise. And I filled myself up with so much pride. And you know, almost always when we want to receive the praise, don't we often get disappointed? We often get disappointed because when we want it, most often no one sees it. When you walked into church this morning and you walked into wor the worship center here, I bet there were some things that you noticed, huh? You probably noticed this colossal choir loft here. And uh, if I stand on the top, I can watch baptisms. <laughs> so if you're getting baptized, you're just going to see my creepy head up there staring down at you. This thing is huge. And so, uh, Jay, you got a job ahead of you. We got to fill this thing, all right? <laughs> So you probably, you might have noticed the, the beautiful stay, uh, choir loft that's being built up here. Or maybe you noticed this stage down here that was being put together. And uh, Javen and the team down here putting this together so that pastor can uh, be closer to the floor as he preaches and teaches. He wants more of an intimate feeling as he, uh, as he preaches God's word. And so he's going to be down here preaching and the singers will be down here. And so I think this is going to be a huge blessing to our church. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Maybe when you walked in, you noticed the new camera that was installed in the back. Uh, that's going to allow us to better live stream our services and have a better experience as people go online and stream our services. Some other things happened. Maybe you noticed the lobby speakers as you walked in, there was actually noise. And if you're in the lobby right now, you can actually hear me this week. Previously, you were never able to hear anyone because our, our speaker's system was not working. And now it's back up and working. So maybe there was some things you noticed. But you know what, as, as you walked in, I bet no one walked to their seat, sat down, and thought to themselves, wow, look at this pew rack in front of me. You know, every single one of these cubbies has the exact amount of envelopes and the exact amount of connection cards right there. I bet you didn't think to yourself, wow, these hymn books are placed perfectly in every single pew rack. And there's a Bible in every single pew rack exactly where it's supposed to be. And if it's not, okay, don't like raise your hand and be like, I'm missing a Bible. <laughs> I bet that wasn't your first thought. You probably saw the giant choir loft. You saw the construction, the things that are getting done. And no one probably noticed those tiny little things. And you know, each and every week, those pew racks are, everything is put in there, not by a staff member. I, don't, I can't remember the last time I, I did that, honestly. Not, 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 not by anyone that's paid to work at the church here. But every single week, faithfully, Great Gracious comes and 
organizes those, fills the pew rack, makes sure everything is put perfectly in order for the Sunday service. You know, if I wouldn't have used this as an illustration, 99.9% of our church would have, ever, would have never known. We, we would have never known that Greg comes in here each week and puts these pieces together and makes sure that everything looks perfect for a Sunday service every single week. It goes unnoticed. Our God sees it. He sees. He sees a man that serves in humility, not for show or for recognition, because he wants to do his part in preparing this place to be filled to worship God. Christians, how have we put on humility this week? What did we do this week that was done to serve with the heart of humility? Do we constantly do things for recognition or for praise? Or are our motives truly to serve at a heart, out of a heart of humility? That's the culture we need to have here. To create a culture of unity, we must be people of humility. To create a culture of unity, we must be people of humility. Lastly, I see, he says this, if we want to have a culture of humility, we must consider others. Look at the end of verse number three where he says this, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Consider others. When we put away pride and become people of humility, it allows us to consider others in our life. When we have a concern for the needs of others, it leads to a unity among the people of God. Now, how can we care for the needs of others? We can give what we have. We can give of our time. And we all have time to give. Sure, we're busy, but we, we can give of our time to others. I'm thankful for people who are not paid on staff who invest in me constantly, who pour into me to, to invest their time. And we can use our talents. Anything that God has gifted you with, the talents that you can use for God. And if you say, I don't know what my talent is. Each of us has something that we can give to God. Hey, if you need anything moved from a high place in your house, you can call me. If something's stuck in the back of your cupboard, I'll get it for you. I'll pull it down. I'm six foot five. My grandma, I feel like sometimes invites me over just to grab stuff from high places for her. As long as there's a meal there, I'll drive over there. And I'll take it off that high place, okay? Use the talents that God gives you. We give of our treasure. And sometimes we don't like to hear that, but guess what? God was the one who gave it to us. Don't let it be said of us that we're stingy, money-hungry, selfish people. And I don't think that's the culture, but don't let that be said of us. Let's use what God has given us to further God's kingdom and consider the needs of others. We could show compassion. You know, when someone is experiencing great loss or going through a deep valley, show some compassion. You know, immediately after, everyone's there. We're there to support and to help. But sometimes the deepest pain comes weeks later in loneliness. And when God puts someone on your heart to show some compassion to, and take advantage of that. You never know what little conversation or note or phone call. You never know what that, mean, that will mean to someone. 
we should be using the things that God has given us to consider others. Let's challenge ourselves with this. When we have the opportunity, let's serve. When we see a fellow brother or sister struggling, let's come alongside them and lift them up. Let's seek to serve, encourage, and assist whenever possible. A unified body of believers is built upon people who consider others above themselves. I want to share with you the story of a pretty well-known man. It's actually a poem. It goes like this. He's the greatest servant in church. There's nothing he won't do. If you can't fulfill your ministry, he'll be there just for you. When he sees a hurting family, he'll do whatever he can. Whether time, talent, or treasure, he always makes a plan. He's also a very faithful member. Shows up right on time. If you don't honor your commitment, he'll cover you every time. Who is he, you may ask? This one with such a claim. Thank God this person is in every church. Somebody else is his name. I pray that that's not my mindset. Let's lose that from our vocabulary. Somebody else will do it. Somebody else will help that family. Somebody else will serve in that ministry. Somebody else will do this. Let's lose that from our vocabulary. Let's become people that serve God when given the opportunity, that serve others when given the opportunity. Mark 10, 45 says this, for even the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's what Christ came to this earth to do, isn't it? He came to serve. He's our example. He's the one we should follow. A.W. Tozer once said this, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. Tune your life to the Savior. How do we become unified? How do we become unified, church? We become like and take on the mind of Christ. In verse number five, he says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, when we live like Christ and follow his word, we can have a culture of unity in this place. This is how Christ lived. He's our example. He's the one we need to be modeling our life after. Christ and the Holy Spirit can say, be like-minded, they can say that because of what they've already given us. We saw in verse number one. We don't become unified by somehow trying to find a body of believers that have the same opinions like me, or think like I do, or act like I do. No, we become unified when as a collective body, our eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ. When we strive to become more like Christ. So I want to challenge each of us this morning. In what area do I need to improve? If, if we want to have a culture of unity in this place at Liberty Baptist Church, evaluate our own personal lives. In what area do I need to improve? Maybe we need to eliminate some pride and put on humility, consider others. Following these three steps will allow our church to create a real culture of unity. And Jesus laid it out for, in Scripture right in his word. 
These aren't Ryan's words. These are exactly straight from God's word. I believe we are on the right track, but let's seek to improve in these three areas. So what area was for you this morning? Don't leave here. I want to challenge you. Don't leave here this morning without taking some application. Maybe you're sitting in this room right now and God's put someone on your heart. I want to challenge you. Reach out. Consider others. Consider the needs of others. Maybe God's speaking to you right now and and telling you, man, you need to eliminate some pride in your life. Maybe there's a gift or a talent or something that God has given you that has created some arrogance in your life and your heart, and you, you need to let go of that. Maybe God is challenging you to, to put on some humility and to serve not for, not for man's sake or to get the approval of man or, or, or for someone to recognize you or to, 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 to be recognized in a service. No, no, no. I, I want to serve out of a heart of humility because I love my Savior. And, and I'm so thankful for what my Savior has already given me. Serve with the right intentions. Church, Let's not leave this morning without taking some action. Without looking at these steps and looking, what area should I make some improvements in my life? Let's be different as we leave this morning. Let's be a unified body. Let's work on improving this culture of unity. And let's look to serve others and be like Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.